Hello, and welcome to Canadian Real Estate Investing Deal Deep Dive. I'm your host, Jeremy. The Deal Deep Dive offers lessons learned from Canadian investors while scaling their portfolios. If you're looking to scale your investments, listen to stories from those who've already been there and what they did in your shoes. Today, we have a special guest, a Mr. Jared Como. Jared, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Jeremy. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thanks. How are you? I'm doing really good. I'm doing really good. If there's a, if there's like car back sounds in the background, I'm just driving while I'm doing this here. So <laughs> I apologize. Sounds fair. Okay. So Jared, could you tell us a little bit about yourself, where you are, what strategies you're using and how you got started in real estate? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm a wholesaler here in Calgary. That's for the most part for the past two and a half years has kind of been my bread and butter is wholesaling, you know, getting properties for, for well below market value, something that would make a good flip, you know, or, you know, whatever strategy. The thing with wholesaling is you kind of have to be a, a master at all the different strategies. You have to understand how, how fix and flips work. You have to understand how buy and holds work. You have to understand how AFS works, how VTBs work. You have to know it all, right? What's and... A- Sorry, for newer investors, what's a VTB? So VTB is a vendor take, and it's it's kind of basically it's the the vendor is the seller, right? And basically, what a VTB is is the seller will hold a portion of the mortgage, and the bank will mortgage the remainder. That that's a very basic way of kind of explaining what a VTB is. If, if people are interested in learning more about them, I highly suggest going and get some, get, getting some education because I'm the last person they want to be getting any kind of education from. So, so that's kind of been my bread and butter for the past two and a half years. But in the past, you know, six months, I've had a bit of a pivot in my business, which is kind of going away from strictly wholesaling to finding those, those distressed properties that would be good for a flip and just keeping them and doing the flip myself. You know, my coach Wayne Hillier, he kind of brought it to my, to to light to me. You know, he's like, he told me, okay, so you're getting these properties under contract and you're, and you're, and you're wholesaling them to flippers and you're making five, 10, 20,000 at best for, for a finder's fee, for a wholesale fee. Why don't you just keep these deals and make the eighty, ninety thousand dollars yourself? So that's where that flip, that that flip, <laughs> that pivot came from. Was was just a conversation I had with with my coach. So that's what I'm focusing on right now. That does sound pretty attractive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I'd like to shift here now. Here on the Deal Deep Live, we look at the best and worst deals that investors have done. Now, you've been investing for, what, two, three years? Is, is that correct? Two and a half, three years, yeah. Since 2019, yeah. Okay. What was the best wholesale deal you've ever done? So, the best wholesale deal I've done was, believe it or not, was my first deal. Oh, really? Uh, you can call it beginner's luck if you want, but... This is a story that I've told plenty of time because there's a, there, there's less, there is a very big lesson to be had here. So 
I had a seller from Edmonton. He owned a condo in right on Jasper Ave. And he was asking $300,000 for this property. So he called me up and we had a conversation and I figured it could use a little bit of work, you know, maybe thirty, $40,000. Condos, apartment style condos don't require a huge amount of money to, to, to renovate them. You know, new floors, new paint. You can't really do any anything with walls. You can't really tear down any walls in apartment style condos. So typically condo, apartment style condo renovations are pretty pretty minimal in, in, in costs but the problem with condos is with the holding fees is you're paying your mortgage your utilities your, your taxes but on top of that you're paying your condo fees right the big struggle with this property jeremy was the condo fees were nearly 800 dollars a month ouch yeah so you know, I had to get a really smoking good deal on this property for it to for it to work, right? Or else, or else those condo fees are going to eat all up a lot of your profit just from holding fees alone, right? So he 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 says, "I want three hundred thousand dollars for the house." I'm like, okay, you're not going to get that. I'll tell you that right now. I I might be able to make it work at three hundred fifty thousand dollars. A couple days later, he gets a hold of me. He's got a 360. What did I say? No, sorry. This isn't the 200s. All the 300s, 200. So I'm like, I make it 250. He calls me back, 265. And I say to him, okay, you know what? Before I say yes or no to this, I need condo documents. So I need you to order me the estoppel certificates, the board meetings, the reserve fund study, the AGM meeting notes, all, all the documents that you usually get when you're, when you're buying a condo, something that's not freehold, right? So, and for, for the listeners who don't know, freehold is, is kind of a term when you're in a community like, like row townhouses or condos where there aren't any condo fees basically you're in charge of the envelope of the building within your property's limits that would be a freehold otherwise you're paying condo board to take care of the exterior the landscaping all that kind of stuff so um so we got those condo documents and i started looking over them everything seemed fine the reserve fund was healthy and as I was reviewing those condo documents. My one of my best friends passed away in a car accident. Oh no. Yeah. And it was very sudden. Nobody, you know, you're always blindsided by a sudden death like that, right? So so I basically ghosted this seller because I went to, to the funeral. I had the grieving process. I wanted nothing to do with anything once that happened. So I ghosted this seller. He was texting me and everything. And I was just like, no, I'm not dealing with this right now. Mike just died. I'm in grieving. I'm going to the Kelowna for the funeral. On about a week. No, it's about three weeks after Mike had passed away. 
I get a, a phone call from the seller and I don't answer it. I let it go straight to voicemail and the voicemail says, and I'm not shitting you, Jeremy, Jared, can we have a deal at $220,000? Okay. <laughs> what? <laughs> Here I am saying he, he went from $300,000 down to 265 and then I ghosted him, didn't talk to him at all for three weeks, and then his desperation showed, and he says, Jared, can we have a deal at 220 In my head, I'm thinking, yeah, <laughs> we could absolutely have a deal at 220 because the numbers worked at 250 mm-hmm. So to give me an extra $30,000 on top of the numbers that were already good was, you know, people talk about singles, doubles, triples, and home run deals. This turned from like a double to a home run just by ghosting and not talking to this seller and letting the desperation build. It was unintentional, but that's what it did. I think so you, I'm thinking, am I, so what's that? I think you also built some rapport with him in the meantime, though, because otherwise he wouldn't have called you first. Well, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. We had been talking for probably a good month and a half before before I ended up ghosting him. Um, so... I'm thinking in my head, yes, this deal works at 220, but you know what? It would work so much better at 210. <laughs> so I went to him like, you know, we're, his name isn't Mike, but we're going to say Mike. Mike, yeah, I mean, if you can come down to like 210. Now in my head, when I'm saying this, I'm thinking, I want this property now. Now that he's come down to 220, I want this property at like 215. Mm-hmm. So I strategically went back to him and I said, you know what, Mike? It, it's going to work a lot better for me at 210. The numbers are just so tight at 220. That 210, I'll sign paperwork right now. I'll send a deposit right now. We'll have this done by end of business today. And he says, let me get back to you. Okay. So he tells me a little later that day, I, I still need to talk to the wife. Give me one more day to figure this out. And I told him, okay, you got one more day. and Otherwise, my offer is going away. And he's like, okay, okay, I'll get back to you tomorrow. So he gets back to me tomorrow. Jared, if, you, if we can meet in the middle at 2.15, you got a deal. I said, okay, I'll sign up the paperwork and I'll have the deposit in with the lawyer by end of business today. So that's how I got that property under contract. So the lesson that I learned there is sometimes silence speaks volumes. You know, if, if you have a seller who's desperate enough to sell their property and you give them an offer, a lowball offer from what they had, they were asking, like, he was asking 300 and I gave him the low ball of, of 250. And then he comes back at 265 and then I just ghost him. Just don't talk to him anymore. That's going to, and if you let it marinate for a week or two, maybe even three, that's going to build that, that desperation. He had an offer on the table, ready to go. And he just screwed it up by not accepting it and 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 countering with fifteen thousand dollars more than what I had, and then his desperation kicked in, 
and he came all the way down to 220. So he came down $80,000 from his initial ask just because he was desperate. And I unintentionally ghosted him and created that desperation by not responding. And it's funny how desperation works that way. It's, it's especially once they have an offer on the table and they've turned around and declined it. And then somebody just, whoever they were talking to, just they, they stop responding to your texts. They stop responding to your calls. All of a sudden you're like, okay, okay, this guy really want, this guy will buy my house. I just want this house off my hands. Please just take it at 220, please. Yeah, that's... And then that's when the, and then that's when the real negotiation started, right? Because I needed to get them down to the, down to that number. Now, this is a lesson. This is a lesson that I hold on to to this day, because it's not even like I did it intentionally, right? It wasn't something that I was like, okay, I'm just going to ghost this guy for three weeks and see if he comes down. It's because my friend died and I was in grieving, right? But knowing now what I've learned from that process, silence will speak volumes when it comes to a desperate seller. And then I was able to turn that around to a flipper for a cool $20,000 wholesale fee. And 20,000, that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, well, and, and that's the thing, like I was only gonna take like a five grand cut at, at, at like two, if I were to offer 240, but because he came all the way down to 215, I was like, I may as well take a good portion, <laughs> right? Like may as well quadruple or triple my, my, my earnings on this one. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's, that was my first deal. And to this day, that's my best deal. For those looking to, to scale up their portfolio here, would you recommend walk ghosting as you call it, or walking away from a deal if the numbers don't work? 100%. If the numbers don't work and the seller rejects your offer, just walk away. You know, do I suggest ghosting? Maybe. If if he's be if he's desperate enough, just ghost him. Let that desperation build. You can ghost him, you can say, "Okay, clearly we're we're not seeing eye to eye here. We're not going to be make anything work." And then just leave it at that and let them let them feel the pressure you know if they're having a hard time getting the price they're they're wanting like in this guy's case that property wasn't worth three hundred thousand dollars he probably could have sold it on the mls for 250. yeah but he didn't want to deal with realtors mm -hmm. he wanted a quick sale and knowing that somebody was was ready to go ready to sign the paperwork had the deposit ready to go he came back to me. He's like, okay, you know what? I just want to get this property off my hounds. Please let's make this work. Here's my, here's, here's my counter. And then you just work from there. And then you just work your negotiation skills from there. So yes, like I said, silence speaks volumes. Very true. You just got to find the, the people that are motivated and then you yeah. can work out that win-win deal. That way you both win. 100%. Exactly. 100%. So next question here, what was your worst deal? What was the plan? What went right or wrong? And how did you recover from it? So, <laughs> so this deal I'm going to talk about 
there was no recovery. However, I'm going to be talking about it because there are a, there are a plethora of different lessons that I learned that I think a lot of your other listeners can learn through this process. So I found this deal on Kijiji. The pictures that were sent to me, this was in Lake Bonavista in Calgary, which is an extremely sought after neighborhood. Pretty much this house was built when you could look out the back door and see the feedlots, right? Like this, these, this is an old neighborhood, very family friendly, lots of big houses. Like you're talking 13, 14, 1500 square foot by levels. And that's what this one was. This property was fantastic, had a ton of potential and the seller was reasonable with her ask. So her ask on the property was thousand dollars. Through our due diligence, we found that the after repair value of this property was in the eight hundred. I'm sorry. Did you say eight hundred? In this property, we got into the property and we found that tub sinks mm-hmm. and a microwave. That's it. There was no. There was nothing else, no fridge, no dishwasher, no, no stove, no, no nothing. So in the eyes of an A-lender, it is uninhabitable. So an A-lender would have never lent a mortgage on this property. So this property had, it had to be borrowed from either a B-lender, C-lender, or private money. So they, 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 it was impossible for them really to sell on the MLS. Well, not impossible, but it would have been a lot more difficult because, you know, it's retail buyers on the MLS for the most part, mm-hmm. right? And you can't sell an uninhabitable house to a retail, retail buyer unless they're willing to put in the, the, the $50,000, well, not 50, but twenty to $30,000 it's going to cost to build a kitchen. So she was, she had it on Kaji and was marketing it to flippers so we got in there and she was fantastic she was really nice we had made, we built a rapport the house was amazing so we got down to business i very very rarely will give a seller their asking price because for the most part sellers don't understand the market and they don't understand how to price their houses for marketing to flippers, right? They don't understand the numbers. So their numbers are, they're asking prices typically, I would say between 60 to $80,000 over what it's actually worth. Except this time, the, the offer of 525 absolutely reflected those numbers. I was able to offer her exactly her asking price and it would still work. I tried going five five fifteen, but she was having none of it. She's like, "No, I think five twenty top five is fair." And then I had to go back to her and like, "You, you're absolutely right. Five twenty five was the app is fair. I will give you five hundred twenty five thousand dollars." So 
I don't, I can't remember exactly why, but we didn't sign the paper right there and then. She was getting some bad information from either her realtor or her lawyer. We can't, I can't, I don't know who from, but she was being told that it is illegal to put an offer on a new house until conditions are removed on her old house. So I had, I, I tried so hard, Jeremy, to explain her. No, it's not true. You can put offers on your new house before conditions are removed on your old, on your old house. And then I showed her the exact, the exact the, on the contract where it says conditional upon sale of, of, of previous house. And she was just not understanding it. She was either getting bad information from her lawyer or information from the realtor. I think, I think it's the realtor that was giving her bad information. I think the realtor just didn't want to put any work in for her to find her a new house because the proceeds of the sale of her, the house I was going to buy is what she was using to buy the new house. So it was going to be all cash purchase. And she wasn't able to guarantee the realtor his commission on the purchase of the new house until the purchase of the old house went unconditional or conditions got removed. So I think that the, the, the realtor simply didn't want to do any work because his commissions were not guaranteed until conditions were removed on her, on her, on the house she was selling which put a huge wrinkle on things. So we got it we, we eventually ended up getting another contract. And no, we didn't get another contract yet, but I had a buyer lined up already. Uh, this buyer Sorry, let me rewind a little bit. The seller needed 2 week, no, at least a month inside the house after close. So that she could find her new home because she was being fed information that she's not allowed to put offers on her on a new home in Lethbridge until conditions were removed on her new house. So she needed to, she wanted a month after the close of this house to be able to buy her next house. So my end buyer on this one, my investor buyer on this one said, okay, that's fine. She can stay in there for a month after, but we have to do this by the book. We're going to do this by the book. We're going to do a lease agreement for one month. We're going to do a move in, move out inspection. And at the time of close, this changes from a buyer seller relationship to a tenant landlord situation. And she was having none of it. She didn't want to sign any leases. She didn't want to have any move in, move out inspections. She didn't want anybody coming into the house until she was gone after that one month. So we weren't even, so, so my investor buyer wasn't even going to be allowed to get his contractors in there to begin demolition or get measurements or even start planning the renovation until one month after close, which clearly that's not going that, to, that's not going to roll, Right. You, you can't have those kinds of conditions, especially 
after close because after close, you have no right to that house. This, this is my house now, right? You, this is my world. You're just living in it kind of thing, right? <laughs> yeah, it's changed ownership. Exactly. And I try to explain to, to that to her. I'm like, listen, at close, you no longer own this house. This is, it changes from buyer seller to a tenant landlord and you are our tenant at that point. And after this was, this was all after two months of negotiations, we gave her everything she wanted. We gave her a a huge $20,000 down payment or deposit. We gave her her exact asking price. No, we actually ended up giving her $10,000 more. No, $5,000 more because we were going to give her $530. We gave her $5,000 more. And we were going to allow her to stay in the house for one month. And all she needed to do was sign a one-month lease agreement, do move-in, move-out inspection. Oh, and the one that, that broke the camel's back was my, we wanted tenant insurance for one month, right? Just in case something happened, right? Mm-hmm. We're, we're just covering our butts, making sure that everything is, is, is A-OK. Everything's on the up and up. Everything's legal, right? Or else she's – otherwise, she's squatting, right? Otherwise, she's squatting. If there's no lease – if there was no lease agreement in place, if there was no tenant and she had, like, tripped – fallen and broke her neck that's on us we're fully liable because she's living in our house and obviously we don't want that that, well exactly we don't want that we don't want anybody getting hurt clearly but we needed all those legalities and all that paperwork in place in the event that the house burnt down you know she went in case she went uh, around and like damaged a whole bunch of stuff in the house we needed to make sure that the house was in the same condition one month after close as it was before conditions were removed. So we gave her everything and we just needed those things in, 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 in return. It was when we said, we need you to get tenant insurance for one month. It's like $5. Well, not quite, like, it's like $20. And she's like, no, I don't have the, I don't have the heart for this anymore. I can't do it. I'm out. What? You're you're out. What do you mean? No, I'm I'm I can't do this anymore. I'm not doing any of that. This is ridiculous. Oh my goodness. So two months gone. Two months gone. An amazing. We oh, I was gonna make like a fifty thousand dollar wholesale fee off this because the numbers were so good. Like I was gonna take a fifty thousand dollar cut on this property, and the flipper was still gonna make one hundred and twenty thousand dollars. Very nice. So that was a payday that I missed out on. Two months wasted. Funny thing, I pulled title a month ago. Because I needed to wait a, a few months. This was like late last year, like November. I waited until April to pull title just because land titles are so backed up. She ended up selling. She ended up selling, Jeremy. Two weeks later than when, that after we finished talking, for $20,000 less than what we offered. 
We offered her 530. She ended up selling two weeks later for 510. Interesting negotiation tactic. <laughs> so, you know, and the funny thing is, is I offered her if she were to stay on the mortgage for the duration of the flip, we'd be able to give her, you know, almost 550 for the house. But because she needed the, the, the funds from the purchase of that house to buy her new house, she wasn't having any of that, right? That's understandable. So the lesson that I learned that I think your listeners really need to learn and really take away from this story is sometimes money isn't everything. Sometimes their terms is what's going to make or break the deal. Because the person who bought it for thirty for for, for twenty thousand dollars less than what we offered and what we were going to close on, I bet you they didn't require her to sign a lease agreement, didn't require to move in and move out inspection, and didn't require her to get ten insurance. I'm almost certain of that. Yeah, especially if that was a sticking point for her, that 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 might have made the ten thousand or twenty thousand dollar difference for them. Yes, that's... and I, I, I'm almost certain, Jeremy, that that's exactly what happened, was somebody came in two weeks later, she told them the story about the tenant insurance and all that, and they probably said, you know what, I don't, I don't need you to do any of that. Mm-hmm. You, you can do whatever the hell you want, but you have to accept my offer of 510. Sounds like it made and, a deal. And that's, that's what worked, I guess, so... That was my big lesson from that one was sometimes money isn't everything. Sometimes emotions like, cause this was her family home, right? Mm. So sometimes money isn't the story. It, it's the convenience of being able to stay in the house one month after close. Right. Very true. That, that's a really good lesson to learn early in investing as well. Yeah, exactly. That was, so, I mean, that was, that was about two years after I started wholesaling. So I had all these, all these negotiation tactics and, and all that kind of stuff, but none of it worked because That's she didn't care for. about money. She just didn't care about money. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it was a free and clear mortgage. It was a, the house was free and clear. So it was pure profit for her. Mm-hmm. So $20,000 on five on a $500,000 sale wasn't anything for her right mm-hmm. so that's the lesson i learned on that one we ended up we didn't end up being able to save it but that's probably the the worst one that i've that i've done and it haunts me to this day <laughs> that's uh, that probably would stick with you here for a while that is definitely a good yeah. lesson to learn here though yes absolutely so yeah i mean that's 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 like i said just I hope your viewers are able to take that, our listeners are able to take that one and, and really have that stick with them. Is sometimes money just doesn't isn't isn't the sticking issue. It's theirs. Very true. We are getting close to the end of our program here, so we're gonna have okay. to shift gears. What advice would you give to new investors in your area who are looking to scale their business? You know what? My number one thing that I want to tell people is. This is a quote that I heard from Arnold Schwarzenegger. And it's, 
what he said was he was at a commencement ceremony and he said the self-made man is a myth and what he meant by that is when he came to when he came to america from austria he came with you know what he had in his pocket right so he said the self-made man is a myth and what that means is you can't become successful by yourself it's the people around you who give you support if you want to grow if you want to scale at large volume you need a coach straight off you need a coach is that why you got a coach that is why i went out and got the coach that's exactly right so in 2019 i went on board with wayne and the growth that i saw with him was exponential it was growth that i would have never never been able to see if i did it by myself you can try and some people are don't get me okay like some people are able to do it and they're able to become successful but you're not able to scale at large volumes by yourself it's especially in real estate it's nearly impossible whether it's with a coach whether it's joint venture partners you can't do it yourself yeah it's a lot easier when somebody shows you the path that they've already gone that way exactly you, that way you can walk the same path 100 percent. very true very true yeah so just before we wrap up here how can people get a hold of you and, and learn more about you so on my instagram i am at olympic lifting and spelt exactly how it sounds or they can reach out on facebook i'm everywhere you know just just search the more the more the popular facebook groups you'll find me i I post almost daily i post daily on instagram reach out to me if you have any questions about wholesaling hit me up if you have any questions about anything really i love talking real estate me too sounds good (laughs) well Jared, thank you for being with us. Thanks so much, Jeremy. It was a pleasure. Sounds good. Thanks, Jared. Signing off.